Welcome one and all to Vision on Sound here on Fab Radio International with me, Martin Holmes. Dennis Potter is considered by many to be one of the all-time great playwrights who was working in British television during the 20th century, and for many fans of his work, the very pinnacle of his achievements, his masterpiece if you will, standing alongside such memorable productions as Pennies from Heaven, Lipstick on Your Collar, Black Eyes, the Nigel Barton plays, Casanova, Brimstone and Treacle, Blue Remembered Hills and so many others, as well as the posthumously produced duet of Karaoke and Cold Lazarus, Was The Singing Detective, the award-winning six-part serial controversial in its day, first broadcast by the BBC in 1986, an incredible 36 years ago? The serial tells the complex tale of one Philip Marlowe, as played by Michael Gambon, who is a writer of detective fiction who is stricken by a crippling psoriasis which has isolated him from work, friends and family. He is trapped by his illness into long-term care on an acute hospital ward where his anger, the daily humiliations his illness brings with it, and bitterness and lack of trust in the motivations of his ex-wife cause memories of his childhood in the Forest of Dean, hallucinations from his present circumstances, and his attempts to rewrite one of his detective novels, The Singing Detective, in his mind, all combine in a brilliant swirling maelstrom of storytelling which remains as devastatingly original and iconic all these years later. The memorable use of several of the old-remembered cheap songs, those songs that remind us of the tremendous feelings we had when we first heard them, which are lip-synced in a series of devastating set-pieces, and a multi-layered narrative in which the characters from his past and present, alongside the kind of ciphers who inhabit the typical film noir, start to interact in his fevered imagination, events in both his real life and his childhood start to mingle to create an astonishingly complex series. For some time now, because it's one of his favourite television programmes of all time, my regular co-host Sandy McGregor has been wanting us to talk about this marvellous piece of classic TV, and he also got chatting about it to his pal Tim Bourne, who joined us a few weeks ago to talk about The Prisoner, and it turned out that he was also a big fan of this acknowledged television masterpiece, and so, much as we did for his earlier appearance, the three of us got together online to talk about The Singing Detective. So, with our elbows at the ready our pots of grease on the bedside cabinet and the winds of villainy blowing a well-remembered tune or three on the breeze, we travel back in time and ask, what's the story? Who's the dame? And welcome back to uh, Tim and Sandy, who are here today to talk about Dennis Potter's, at the time, much misunderstood, but now possibly considered to be his masterpiece, The Singing Detective. So, uh, Sandy, you wanted to talk to me about this today, and you mentioned it to Tim, and Tim 
Tim said, oh, I like that as well. And so we find ourselves, all three of us, in a position to to have a, old, yes, a bit of an old did, Dennis Potter did. natter. So, uh... Story of my life, gate crushing a party. Dennis Potter party. A Dennis Potter party. I'm not, I'm not quite sure about it. Yeah, Second Detective. Uh, it is... I thought it was, oh sorry, it has been until recently, what I believe to be one of the best TV programmes I've ever seen. I've got mm. great memories of it. Okay. And if people ever say to me, what's your favourite programme? Singing Detective, up there. Mm. And when we discussed doing this, I thought, oh, I better watch it again. I better go and watch it again, because it's obviously mm. originally on in 86, mere 36 years ago, mere uh, couple I of kids. That's astonishing, that, isn't and it? Obviously, watched it at the time, watched it a couple of times afterwards, and probably the last time I saw it, mm-hmm. maybe the best part of 20 years ago, it's it's a big effort, you know, it's like six and a half hours of, mm-hmm. of television, so I thought, ooh, I better, better watch it again. Yeah. And I watched the first episode, which I remember being, ooh, incredibly exciting mm-hmm. and blew me away at the time, mm-hmm. and I watched the first episode, and it was a bit, hmm, <laughs> not sure about this. <laughs> Ah, okay. And then carried on, and I've basically spent, binge-watched it, you know, it's taken me two days to get through it, Mm -hmm. and I've started watching with the director's commentary again, and it is a fantastic piece of television. Absolutely up there. Oh, well, that's good. I thought you were going to say you now hated it. (laughs) I now hated it. And and the, yeah... Short podcast. Short podcast. Yeah. It's rubbish. <laughs> so, so next we'll week. Talk about, yeah. So, uh, and that's, I found that interesting that, you know, what, what is about that first episode? So, also, I think it's hmm. fair to say that we're actually quite fortunate to be able to watch it these days because, as you may remember, there was a film made with Robert Downey Jr. Oh, yes. Yes. And part Iron of Man the deal himself. of this yes. was that. When they made the film of it, that basically the TV programme would be suppressed and it wouldn't be shown again. Oh, right, that's interesting. Gosh, um, dreadful. For anyone who has seen Robert Downey Jr. in The Singing Detective. I watched it yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that the version we're doing? We're doing that that again. Prisoner, yeah, we're talking about the remake of The Prisoner. (laughs) Yeah, and it's, it's just... A rank, ordinary at best film. Interesting. I, I think this is actually quite an interesting parallel because the last time we had Tim on, we did talk about The Prisoner and that's seen as one of the more surreal and innovative yeah. pieces of television from the 60s. And then we come to the 1980s and one of the most innovative and, well, I would say almost post... What is, is it pre-postmodern <laughs> or is it actually the first postmodern piece of television well, of, of the 1980s? I mean, I know this is a... This is dealing with themes that Dennis Potter dealt with yes. in quite a lot of his other work, and it revisits some things he did in the 60s and also sort of yeah. previews some of the stuff he did towards the end of his career. Yeah. It's kind of slap-bang in the middle, and all the sort of influence of it goes out to yeah. all of his other I'll, I'll, I'll look to see what he was doing round about then, because like in the, the 80s, Dennis Potter was a, he was a big name. He was you know one of the premier TV playwrights. And I looked to see what he was doing mm-hmm. in the 80s. So, 1981, Pennies from Heaven. Mm. 1985, Tender is the Night. Okay. 1986, okay. Second Detective. 1988, Christabel. And at the Christabel. same time, he was doing films mm. then. Which is, is not... He's always... Yeah. These days, we think of him as a, 
a TV dramatist, mm. which he had noted. Gorky is. Park, didn't he? Gorky Park. Yeah. And Dream Child, he wrote yeah. the screen. I was Dream amazed. Dream Child, yes. And, and one more, one, one more. Track 29. Track 29. <laughs> <laughs> Nicholas Rogue. Oh, okay. With Christopher Lloyd and... It's, it's, it's a very Dennis Potter film. Okay. You're glossing over the film that had Sting in. <laughs> which, which, which one have I missed? Oh, Artemis. Brimstone and oh, Treacle. Oh, sorry, yes. Yeah, sorry, yeah. Sorry, it's, it's written on the title. Sorry, yeah, I forgot. Brimstone and Treacle. Because that was quite a yes. controversial so, one originally, wasn't it? The play. The, 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 I mean, the TV one wasn't shown. So it was He all... wasn't popular with the Viewers and Listeners Association, was he? Oh. Mary, Mary Whitehouse did not like Dennis Potter in any way, shape no, or form. But he liked her. <laughs> a fair point. <laughs> because Which, yeah, I mean, this was also about the time he got branded Dirty Den, wasn't it? I mean, yes. or was that, or yes. was that Black Eyes? Dirty Den was Black Eyes, I think. Mm. Uh, yeah, and also, sort of paradoxically, he he went on record of sort of um, almost applauding Mary Whitehouse because mm. despite him being on the the wrong end of a lot of her um, tirades, he thought at least she stood for art and art in mm. the in, in the sort of family and household. So yeah. um, he had some respect for her, even though he got on the wrong end. Well, I, I, I believe a lot of the problem was Patrick Malahide's bottom, wasn't it? Really? Yes. Yeah. Yes. On top of Alison Stead's <laughs> legs. Yeah, one of the, uh, one of the wonderful things in my DVD extras is points of view. And it's points <laughs> of view with Barry Took. Okay from 1986 when it was being shown there's lots of angry like, of bag shots and it's colonels there's yes colonels and majors and um, i have been looking at this on stop and pause and i can see all these things you shouldn't see on family television outrage that you are allowing this to be broadcast in my living room <laughs> i didn't fight the war for the to see this to see patrick malahide's bomb which effectively and it's only one certainly one bomb cheek let's be fair <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it, for them, it probably undermined all the previous sort of episodes of Minder that they watched where he was an upholding officer of the law. <laughs> Mr. Chisholm. So, what, what, could, could either of you, or would like one of you, like to give us a brief resume of what The Senior Detective is all about? <laughs> Over to you, Sandy. Yeah, it's... Uh, <laughs> the, the main character is uh, Philip Marlowe, who is uh, a writer of detective stories. He's in hospital bed with very severe psoriasis. And there are three plots to the story. There are mm -hmm. the real time, which is him in the hospital. Right. There is the story that he has written and he's concocting, which is a, a film noir thriller featuring the singing detective, also mm -hmm. played by uh, Michael Gambon. So that's his mm -hmm. kind of a view of himself as how he would like to be. And there's also his childhood uh, which is obviously very closely based on Potter's own childhood mm. during the war in the Forest of Dean and also in London. Right. So that's the kind of that's the three stands of the story. And in his kind of fevered state, with all the, the drugs and the illnesses and being in hospital, mm. the three stories bleed into each other. And sort of intertwine and intertwine and, and, and influence each absolutely other. Absolutely well, wonderful is, way. Yeah. And so we go through six episodes of that. We also have a story with his wife, who he builds a story around as well. And yeah, in the course of six fairly long episodes, I mean, they're, they're, they're over an hour. Yeah, uh, they, they have varying length as yes, well. Yes, they, they do. So it's like, yeah. which I like because it's, you know, it's long enough to tell the story. 
Yeah. You know, to get... uh, not... you know, the last episode was like 80 yeah. minutes, I think, uh-huh. wasn't it? And you get... Um, you get. <laughs> I think Dennis Potter himself later on said, basically, it's a story about a man taking up his bed and walking. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That seems to be... Yeah. That's his one-line sort of uh, yeah. description of it. And there are, you know, there's heavy themes of music. We get the thing we got in Pennies from Heaven where people act out a song of the time. Mm. Oops. <laughs> How do you feel it sits <laughs> alongside Pennies from Heaven? Yes, I do. It's. I remember. The how time... do you, I mean? How do you feel? Do you feel it's better, worse, about the same? I I, I think it's better. Better. Yeah. You feel it's it's kind I of do. been honed through that yes. process. Yeah. yeah. I, I remember the time he said he thought he didn't think he would do another one in that style, but mm. he did because he, he then went on to Lipstick on Your Collar. Mm. Which had a lot of this. You and McGregor. Yeah. How are you on Lipstick? Actually, again. Because that was that was basically after he'd fall, he'd fallen. Oh, yeah, he'd smile at it. He'd get the right shade. Yeah, <laughs> he'd, he'd, some colours just don't do he'd it. He'd kind for of me. fallen out of favour with the BBC at that yeah. point, hadn't he? And and he sort of went over to the other side. Yes. And I sometimes feel that lipstick on your collar, particularly, is a little bit. It feels like a lesser work in some it ways, but I don't think it necessarily is. Yeah. It just. No. It doesn't feel like it has quite the same craft. Yeah, I, I think I remember at the time like before he made lipstick, he said that he didn't think he would go to the nineteen fifties hmm. because he didn't think the music was as potent then. Right. And uh, you know, and it's interesting that the fifties music fifties is is where the music is trawled from for the film version. Mm, is it? All right. And I don't think of a singing detective, and it doesn't work yeah. as well. I mean, probably it's never going to work as well for me because. The 40s and dance band music that was used for the original TV series just is so evocative. You can't hear some of those songs now without envisaging the scenes. The um, was he not? Did he not have a rule that it had to be pre-electric guitar? Was that? Was that basically... I don't know. He was involved. He was in, certainly involved in the film, wasn't he? He wrote the screenplay yeah. adaptation. But is that, when you see the um, original series described as a film in six parts, and it's nearly not far short of seven hours yeah. to cram that into a two-hour film you're going to lose yeah. a lot of the richness and i and and i felt really so i really missed the um the forest of dean childhood yeah. scenes that was lost and, and I, i'm probably going to be biased but i didn't like it being reset to america no, I, it was reset i've never actually seen the the film version so so it, it actually is repositioned in the american yeah, background. I mean for the hospital scenes and the and the, the it's one private room. Some so <laughs> yeah, there's a, it, it's it, that doesn't matter so much. But the childhood bit, I think we lost yeah. a lot about. And and you know, that, talking about the music, mm. the um the song I get along without you very well, mm. lovely charming song. But I cannot hear that now without seeing that incredibly spooky scarecrow mm. that he oh, sees yeah. from the from the uh, from the train. Who's the school teacher? Janet Hemphrey, with white, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, with totally white makeup and. Pupilless <laughs> white eyes, and 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 the irony, I guess, is that what they're the one that the the song's being played along to. I get along without you any very well. Like, oh no, it's not. I get it's after you've gone. Right. Sorry, yeah, I got my yeah. I got, after you've gone. I just the, the irony is this white-faced teacher. Mm. It's after you've gone is sung by Al Johnson, <laughs> who's blacked <laughs> up, of course. I think the uh, in those the days. interesting thing about the opening episode, particularly the opening, is that it doesn't actually use the Forest of Dean stuff no. very much does it? So actually, it's very much a setting up yeah. situation, and it does actually yeah. it hits you really quite brutally in the sense that really you are exposed to the full horrors of the full hundred percent psoriasis that he's yeah. suffering from, and also yes. that you you are introduced to a very bitter, angry man. 
who is is having a lot of problems. There is a lot of innuendo with with Joanne Wally's uh, character in in The Nurse. Uh, Well, it's not really innuendo. It's sort of (laughs) absolutely blatant. um, and, And all that stuff... That actually, in many ways, later on, that feeding on the the childhood and everything doesn't really feature, and maybe that's why you didn't really take to the first episode again. Yeah. You know, yeah, it, you know this stuff's coming, and you have got this interweaving three yeah. strands of story. But actually, in the first one, it actually is it plays it quite safe. You're mingling his ideas of film noir, which of course yeah. I'm always a bit bit of a fan of film noir anyway. So you've got a sort of yeah. film noir pastiche running in parallel with the hospital story. Yeah. And maybe that doesn't quite feel interesting enough. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I, th- I think that's probably probably it. It's the it's not even Stedman's in the first episode, is no. she? She's no, no. Yeah, I mean it's having watched it again, there are some there are, there are people you remember incredibly well in it. Mm. Who hardly appear. Bill Patterson. Bill Patterson. Yeah. David Thewlis is in there, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, David Thewlis. Jim Carter is like one of my yes. abiding images. Jim Carter mm. obviously got a career gone downhill since he's a singing detective. But he, uh, the scene with him, there's, there's a couple absolutely heartbreaking scenes. The, the one where he's standing yeah. at the station just in the rain waving, wave, waving up. We're, we're waving at the camera now. You'll have to imagine yeah. this <laughs> or just watch the TV program. But yeah, the, the fact that he... <laughs> You know, he just stands there. And the other one is when he's singing in the uh, the club mm. in the Forest of mm. Dean. And Mark Binney is there, dancing along in front of him, having just had sex with his wife. Mm. And it's like, oh, God, it's like absolutely, you know, shreds you watching that. And I think, mm. you know... And those, and those are things that had to be cut for the for the film yeah. just to cram it in. I mean, it's... and you know, it's, it's, it's probably on screen for about fifteen minutes. I would say across six and a half hours. But I think the abiding image for me is him is when he lets out that howl of pain in the woods in the yeah. final episode. I mean, that mm. to me mm. is the thing that I actually, in many ways, is the image that most sticks in my mind from the end of the story. I was rewatching the end of the story this morning. And all yeah. the stuff with there's a very big shootout in the ward, and all yeah. and all the uh, the stuff about the policeman coming, and all that kind of thing. The, where the storylines yeah. collide, the different and, sort and of levels. Everything's brute, crossing over and, and shattering, and yeah. anyways, and this is where I, I start to wonder whether is this the postmodern era, birth of the postmodern yeah. era to a certain extent? But that was the thing that still stands out from that final episode. It's just that image of his father thinking yeah. he's alone in the woods, and this just howl of pain. Yeah. And I find mm-hmm. that even now it's incredibly painful to watch as a piece of television. Yeah, I know that's getting to the end of the story, and I know we yeah. we, uh, we, we, <laughs> we haven't quite got there. I mean, rolling back the stuff that takes place in the classroom in the Forest of Dean in yeah. his childhood, a lot of that is stuff that he mined in in, in Nigel Barton. Yes, isn't it? Exactly. I mean, Janet Hemphrey actually mm. reprises the same role yeah. as the school yeah. teacher that she played in the sixties. And what do you make of Janet Hemphrey? I personally. I've found her terrifying ever since <laughs> seeing the singing detective. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And she, she's still working today. Indeed, right. Yeah, okay. she's, she was in The Crown fairly recently. She's still, I mean, she's late 80s, I think. Mm. But yeah, she's... I think she's, she's one of those actresses who just happened to look an age from yeah. and, and sort of stayed there. Was, was she ever young? Or, <laughs> well, or, I'm sure or, or Dandy Nichols. <laughs> 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 But, uh, yeah, she's, you know, it's an amazing performance. Yeah, it is always like a copy of the scene from the first Nigel Barton. Mm. 
cool. But yeah, just great. Bro. Is it? Is it particularly? I, I know that uh, writers quite often will tread the same path and, and yeah. you know, and take the same element. Do you? Do you feel? I mean, I know you've watched a lot of other Dennis Potter. Do you yeah. feel that this actually does bring all those elements from his other works together? Yes, to a I, I think extent? it's the it's the best example. Mm. It's like oh, I think it's generally regarded as the highlight of his sort of canon. There's a lot of real quality yeah. stuff that he's done, so that's saying quite a lot. But is I saw so on because I, I ended up following a sort of bit of a BFI line in terms of just the bit of research I did in the last 24 <laughs> hours, and it was prompted initially by when I dug out this soundtrack album that I've had since it came <laughs> out. I was all right. I got the music. I noticed in the back of it, I've I'd kept a ticket and some notes from the BFI mm. that told me the last time i saw it and um back in 2015 they did a full screening all day of the singing detective um so it started at 11 o'clock in the morning i think we surfaced my wife and i blinking (laughs) into the night about (laughs) half past eight but they also had um, they gave you the odd break (laughs) they they, there were there were some breaks scattered through that and it finished with a 40 minute panel q a that had um, John O'Meal, the director, yeah. it had Kenneth yeah. Trod, it had Michael Gambon there, and it had Janet Suzman. And that's still on YouTube, right. actually. I found it on YouTube, okay. that, that whole panel. And, and that was quite fascinating to hear some of that. But following the BFI line, sorry, where I start off, was one of the things I saw, it's referenced as 20th on a BFI list of the 100 greatest TV programs. Yeah. That was done by voting professionals, mm-hmm. industry professionals in 2000. And that was 20th, and I think... 21st was Pennies from Heaven. And actually, 55th was Dennis Potter, the last interview, which was talking about heartbreaking when he knew he was dying. And he did that interview with Bragg. Mm. Uh, The the interesting thing, having listened to Kenneth Trodd and Jeremy O's commentary, because if you get the DVD, it should have their commentary Mm. on it. Michael Gambon, not the original choice. Okay. That's shocking. Go on. Right. Go on, who was? And the same actor was the initial choice for Arthur in Penny's Women. Turned both of them down, Nicole Williams. Ah. Ah. Merlin. Merlin and Nick Scaliber. That was the that was the one that recently came to my mind because he, he was talking. I when last time I was on, I was talking about actors chewing the carpet. He chewed the carpet a bit yeah. in Nick Scaliber, didn't he? And he, he turned both of them down. And, and yeah, interesting that they reckon he would have got the the anger and the bile, mm. but he wouldn't have engaged your sympathy like mm. Michael Gambon does. Mm. Do you feel Gambon has ever been better? No. I mean, I, I was, again, watching it over the course of the last couple of days. The thing that's fascinated me about watching Gambon is there's a sequence at the end where he confronts himself in the hospital ward. Yeah. And what fascinates me is they look like two completely different people. Yeah. And mm. I know it's all in the facial expression and the makeup and all that kind of thing. But genuinely speaking, he starts off as this bitter, bitter old man. And yet, yeah. and, and when he actually does the charming bit at the end where he sort of say goodbye to everybody yeah. on the ward. And, and again, it, it's a phenomenal transition. Yeah. It's a phenomenal journey that the yeah. character takes across the six episodes. I don't, I don't think you can overstate it because a lot of the... Um... And it, often the case on television anyway, but particularly in this, a lot of the shots are unforgivingly really close mm, up, yeah. n- you know, nowhere to go. And so he conveys those differences, mm. whether he's in the makeup or out of the makeup. And, and it's every little yeah. nuance just gets that breadth yeah. 
wonderfully. At the panel, because I'm not saying I remember this from six (laughs) years ago, but having watched the panel interview again on YouTube, and I did bring this back, Gambon was incredibly modest when asked about it. He's almost like dismissive of, well, I just came in and and did what John told me to do. And and he said at one point, he said, um, because they were talking about Dennis Potter couldn't come in all the time it wasn't like he was always there in the corner watching it and giving directions because some of the times he was busy writing some of the times he was too other stuff some of the times he was too ill but when he was in there Gambon said a little story about he said oh oh, um Dennis just said to me he said you never talk to me and I said no I'm frightened of you (laughs) So, (laughs) so Michael I think Gambon himself was really sort of a little bit in in all mm, of the material, yeah. but still seems to be incredibly modest. He's more he's more ready to talk mm. about the jokes he played when he was in the bed. They he said, oh yeah, there was this long scene where they wheeled me down this bed. They wheeled me in this bed down this corridor, and it's really quiet, and there was lots of stuff going on. And right at the end, I just went. <laughs> <laughs> but I only did it the once. He said. Well, again, it's as a piece of writing, it's it's a tour de force. I mean, yeah. I, I've got these the script book in front of me. It's two hundred and fifty pages. I mean, and it's not you know it's tightly yeah it's not got lots of space in it at all it's a, it's a phenomenal amount of work yeah. do we know anything about how long it took to come into gestation at all yeah, i think it took a year almost a year to film right but i mean in right. terms, of, terms, writing, of, terms of, writing, of writing i mean presumably because in terms of our, our television experience of dead possible we kind of think it, is it all the time from pennies from heaven to make it but obviously it can't be but it but that's a five-year period isn't it so you hesitate to do that thing of so where do you get your ideas from but this thing becomes this amalgamation of everything it's like you're, you're pouring your yeah. absolute heart and stuff. i mean he, he claimed it wasn't autobiographical didn't he, he claimed it was yeah. it, it but yeah. it must have come from a lot of well there's the, the, there's got to be lots of it is autobiographical mm. well i mean there's a whole scene isn't it about writers will use everything yeah that's you know they are yeah. having said that it was interesting because I read something that um, Mary Whitehouse, mistakenly quoting from the singing detective plot, mm. talked about how oh, there's all this sex and stuff mm. in there because Dennis Potter witnessed his mum being oh, raped. Yeah. And, and um, Mary Whitehouse was sued and the listener was sued <laughs> by Potter's mother and they won. <laughs> so, yeah, obviously there's got to be a lot of autobiographical mm. element in terms of the settings yeah. and stuff and the script. I think Trod was talking about when they first, when he first saw the script, it was almost like just so daunting because of how can he do justice yeah. to this wonderful script. And uh, Emil, the director, was talking about how the the way Potter wrote was not so much about giving you all the the scenes mm. and how they should be shaped, but he'd go into a lot of detail. And I guess you might seen this if you were reading through it martin i haven't seen it but there was a lot of detail about a particular pace there might be a drum and so and and you can hear the squeak of the wheels and you see the tears welling up and coming out so there's there's elements of what's going on but he doesn't say how to film it and so there's there's still a great sort of partnership and he he also talked about how if there were issues to solve even though he wasn't there every day of the recording if there was in inverted commas problems to Mm. solve and you know in terms of just mechanically or technically or whatever uh, he'd be on hand to sort those problems out with them now there's a lot of very sparkling dialogue i mean you could actually say there's a lot of you know there is some 
genuine humour amongst all the oh, video. Definitely, yeah. definitely. There's a scene, isn't there, where where basically he's trying to avoid well <laughs> having an unfortunate medical no not but uh, intimate intimate incident and the list of all the alternative things he can think yes, about. Yes, all the all the all the most boring things in the world. Uh, and it's it's interesting how few of them have survived thirty six years actually. <laughs> I mean that does to a certain extent date it, but also there's some quite sharp engagements with bill patterson's character dr yes. gibbon isn't there the word association a bit i think was was brilliant yeah. but but yeah in some of the other those those seem to be quite central pieces yeah. in terms of dialogue. If, if you watch am i right or am i right <laughs> yeah. what's the story who's the dame <laughs> yeah well, there's always if a dame the first the first time mm. dr gibbons meets marlo mm. michael gambon can only act with his eyes because he can't move his body because he's so mm. right. You watch him and he's yeah. got the fantastic dialogue, but the acting with the eyes, the way he can change emotion with just mm. a look, yeah. where he puts his eyes, how he softens them, it's just fantastic. Mm. And yeah, the, the kind of the, the two handers that they do together mm. and the way that they change through the different episodes mm. as he kind of cures them. And I don't think I don't think Dennis Potter would have been a man who'd have had much time for psychiatrists. Mm. But it's the psychiatrist is the is the kind of key to the the exorcism that goes on. on his I, I think the most telling scene I think is is when he confesses to the incident in the classroom, uh, oh, the, the yeah. defecation on the desk, and and the outcome of him avoiding getting punished for it. Yeah, uh, and mm. I think that actually possibly justifies the entire strand of that because that again is a devastating moment. And it tells you a lot, really, about people. I think that's the thing. Dennis Potter, rightly or wrongly, understood people, possibly yeah. because he'd spent his life observing them and possibly because he had to spend a lot of that passively observing yeah. them. But, mm. the, but the outcome of that friend of his telling him that it's an unfortunate expression now. There are a few unfortunate expressions now which don't really hold up in the modern era. But when he says that Mark Binney ended up in, in the loony bin, as yeah. it were, but his mate was... Who's you know who knew him from that time took a certain amount of glee in the fact that he maybe caused that. Yeah. But that whole thing about how he he confesses to he blamed this other kid and all the people piled on. Yeah. Because there was an opportunity to humiliate yes. a third party. Mm. Yeah. Which is and it tells you a lot about human beings, doesn't it? Really? It's it's kind of probably more relevant than anything today that one isn't it you watch oh absolutely of, absolutely uh, you have been shamed by john ronson and things like that where the somebody gets humiliated in the public eye and there's a there's a massive pile on of people who yeah there was a lot that i think was metaphor that is still that can be applied mm. today and and remembering that it came out of the time when there was a sort of very divisive society we lived in thatcher was at a prime mm. and and i think some of i've seen some critiques of it that draw the parallels between philip marlowe and britain mm. as it were now i mean you can it's a bit like a lot of the programs like, a lot of, like the prisoner you can draw you can draw a lot out of it on different mm. levels and not least with the singing detective because it presents you in your face with three levels to view it on anyway with the three sort of themes being developed but um there's a lot of stuff and that's something that i think the bfi in its season of complete potter stuff back in 2015 mm. brought out a lot of the lot of the things one of the things that also comes out here is interesting it explores i think 
Potter's own attitude to women mm. and to sex and to death, which obviously, of course, comes out in his last mm. two pieces as well, which he did, which were only produced after he died, the um, karaoke and Cold Lazarus. But, well, um, uh, karaoke specifically riffs quite a lot on Singing Detective and, and reuses some of yeah. the scenes and some of the ideas in this slightly different context. And again, that. Yeah. And actually, sometimes, if you watch karaoke now, I think it's still available on all four, um, <laughs> you know, you can actually you can see there's a wonderful scene actually in it where they get the actor, I think he played the Emperor Palpatine. <laughs> yes, uh, to play uh, Potter uh, as Potter almost, uh, and that that is a very it's disturbing. The resemblance is quite. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah, it's, it's, you can see it's it. just a very disturbing moment because you actually start. You know that by this date, Dennis Potter has died, and yet actually there he is walking down the road, and it is uncanny. But again, a lot of the references back to the Forest of Dean come back in karaoke mm. later. Yeah, that sort of almost pre-death for something posthumously that we will be regarding his death it was struck when i was thinking about this yesterday and uh, uh, not least in the use of lazarus mm. in the sort there's some parallels there with bowie doing <laughs> his last album before he, well. he died and it being released after he died sort of thing and the whole lazarus there's, there's not many people that i don't think that could take on that subject yeah so effectively knowing that they were dying i think it's it, it is actually if you like to be able to stage manage your own demise and say, I want it to be done this way. I want this one to be done on the BBC, this one to be done on Channel 4. I want them to cooperate and to be able to actually get an hour and a half of television screen time to basically say, well, I'm not going to make it. But that seeing the Blossom interview is an astonishing piece of television in and of itself, really. Yes. But again, I think the interesting thing about Potter generally is like I say, you you take these bits and you take these bits, and I feel that everything to a certain extent feeds back to the single detective. It's almost like all the other potter you watch mm. sort of feels that yeah. it, it connects to this web of the single detective. Mm-hmm. But it just brings it all together brilliantly there. Yeah, it's and, a good yeah. Idea. Either leading up to it or, or reference is it, depending on whether it's before or after the singing detective. So should we talk a bit about the other actors in the, sh- well, in the show? I certainly think we should, because it is a, it's a stunning cast. It really is. Can I make a plea to go straight off with Joanne Wally? Because <laughs> you, you, you said to me, Sandy, beforehand, you just sent me a message saying, I thought, look at the cast list. And I said, um, after Gambon, I, I tend to get stuck <laughs> at Joanne Wally. But... I didn't. I should probably shouldn't. What's your pointless but, answer for, for the singing detective? Well, it's, it's Maggie Holland, obviously. Yes, <laughs> Gran. I'm just. Um, but while talking about Joan Wally, um, she's a local. I lass, thought, so be careful. Yes. 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 No. I know, coming I, I, up, coming I, up here, it's like off our local ladies. <laughs> <ladies. laughs> I actually saw an interview of her a bit in a few later mm. years on the Word, and that was cringy as the mm. word often was she was so above it and she was being asked these inane questions but on the subject of joanne wally i remember from around the same time and i thought it was a program that was after it. another program i mm. really liked that she was in it and she had it yeah. was edge ah. of darkness and edge of darkness yeah. was just before singing yeah. detective and that was because what is it she was a yeah. dead daughter yeah. through so, all, so all i got through killed that. in episode one then. <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 but just stick with it stick with it read part two Oh, I'm dead. <laughs> I stopped reading after part one. I was shot. 
And there's another, there's another one I got the soundtrack for. I think it was only a sort of 12-inch. It, it, it was a sort of a... Was it Clapton, I think, that did the... Right. But it was yeah. very evocative guitar work. And, it, and again, Joanna Wally. I mean, she had a bigger part yeah. in that, really, I suppose, centrally. And, I, and, and looking at her, I was amazed to find that she was actually also in a, a non-speaking role as one of the five groupies in Pink Floyd's yeah. The Wall. Right. In the, in the, the you know the film that had Bob Geldof in anyway sorry we all have to start somewhere I steamrolled <laughs> through with me wanted to talk with Joanna Wallace over to over to the as a, as a delightful <laughs> Nos Mills so uh, yeah so other actors obviously we've touched briefly on Patrick Malahide uh, and, yeah um, who was who was chiselled in the team and then yeah. obviously wandered away from yeah. behind them mm-hmm. and again fascinating multi-faceted yes performance because he, he has to play multiple mm. roles in this and, and they're all different but they're all the same it's all got to be the same and he gets it again there was a wonderful account from that panel at the bfi where i think the director was saying about how some of the art actors mm. prepared for this and that he had a particularly challenging role because he had these three three different roles and been done in a lot of preparation for it and then i think he came to do the first sort of run through of it or or maybe the first sort of recording of it and dennis potter was there and the way emile describes it or trod describes it was um patrick malahide with a sort of bit of a waver in his throat went up to um dennis potter and 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 sort of very sort of timorously sort of said well how how do you think how do you think it went (laughs) and um after all this work he put into it and dennis potter i think apparently said well what you have to remember is they're all just figments of a person's imagination (laughs) and and that sort of just totally took the wind out of Malahide says, oh, just yeah. "Don't you try and bring your your acting nonsense into yeah, yeah. this." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it, but that, not to take away from that, I, I think that, that was that was, story. He, he, and it was, it was interesting that there are three yeah. names above the titles. Mm-hmm. There's obviously Gammon, Malahide third, and the second is Janet Sussman, yeah. who, no, is another, Janet Sussman. who is yeah. another who is another character. She's not in it that much. Would you say that Janet Sussman was an unknown name at that time? Or yeah. Had, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, mean, probably, I wasn't sure whether this was the mm, thing that brought her into the, the, yeah, the I mean, possibly more in kind of theatrical stuff. Because mm. well, it's just that Alison Steadman, particularly apart from the fact that she has one episode fewer. So yeah. Alison Steadman was known. I mean, for oh, yeah. ten years earlier from Abigail's. I mean, she'd been doing the, uh, yeah. the play for today for about ten years. She did a different one, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, lots of collaborations with Mike Lee and what have you. But do you feel Alison? Steadman was the more well-known actor at the time. I would have said so, yeah. Because mm. it's an interesting role. There's a fascinating thing because there's quite a few other actresses who get pulled out of the water. There's a, basically, a, a, there is a naked body of a woman yeah. ends up in well, the tent. And do we feel that somehow how much flesh you get to see depends on how good their agent is or how high <laughs> their profile is? Apparently it was filmed for real in, or in real water in mm. February. <laughs> so it was well, that's the BBC good. for you, isn't it? I mean, that's, yeah. that's what they do. Talking about Janet Sussman and her character was Nicola, Nicola wasn't it? The, the wife. And one thing that Trod said at that interview was you don't normally have the goal to try and suggest any improvements to mm. Dennis Potter. But apparently that was one of the suggestions from an early draft that Trod did make to Dennis Potter to try and develop more. Apparently, Nicola wasn't mm. so developed as a character originally, and he'd suggested, and, and obviously Den- Dennis Potter did respond to this, to develop that character mm. more. And so then 
it's more meaningful at the end when they leave yeah. together that that sort of journey has been more because you've seen yeah. more of that there's that a very character. brutal sequence, isn't there, when she's been having the yeah. alleged or supposed affair with Mark Finney, who, when he gets the clearance to have his film script made and gets yeah. a younger, should we say, oh, more successful God, yeah. actress. And and that scene, again, speaks volumes. It, but it's, in, it's, it's subtle, but it's an incredibly powerful moment to a certain extent. And yeah. says a lot about, obviously, the types of careers that older actors tend to... Uh, yeah have to put up with it and, and to watch things. you know to watch gambon who's in that scene just this kind of reaction as he twists a knife and it is just you know. well there are some fabulous supporting characters i mean that you get the audience you get the uh, chorus don't you of david ryle and uh, gerard horan yeah. as the two other patients mm. who are and obviously you get the various other patients within the yeah, world i was gonna say that they're like a greek chorus they, they are they very it. much so and of course <laughs> but they also have they have value because yeah. they're storyline progresses and when he, one of them turns out to be a villain and yeah. one of them you know and all that stuff about can i have the bedpan nurse and oh, all that kind God. of thing and his his sort of very middle class oh i'm a bit embarrassed yeah. stuff is is it's fascinating to watch but there's yeah. some I mean, you got ron cook in there haven't you? Yeah. in a very early role for ron cook and people like leslie french who are you know, veteran actors yeah so mm. there's, a, there's a whole whole David, sort of David, slew david thulis yeah Indeed, oh, that his, story, his, his, you know. His second appearance just after uh, Only Fools and Horses. Wow. Ken but, Stott yeah. as Uncle John. Yeah, yeah, that's, a, that's a coffin to spit and you yeah. don't see it, isn't it? You know? Yeah, it. yeah. Coming back to the, the hospital thing, one of Potter's ideas was that mm. the, the hospital ward should be almost like a sitcom. Yes. And there's comedy staples about the, the kind of how... Oh, only when I laugh and all that. Yeah, yeah. it used to be. <laughs> think, well, oh, what oh. is that thing? Because people, this long-term stays in hospital seems almost, it's another yeah. world now, isn't it? Yeah. You know? Well, actually, I have a disclosure okay. time. I mean, this re resonated for me a little bit because when I was in my teens, I was diagnosed with juvenile rheumatoid arthritis and subsequent years I've had patient spondylitis, which is the mm. same family as the, uh, the arthropic psoriasis and that is one of the things you can get with this but when i was young when i was 13 and and the doctors in that scene the doctors run through mm. what he's had and they talk about yeah. the various medicines and they mention gold injections mm. i had all those in my teens and i actually it wasn't anywhere like the three months they talk about but i was put into hospital for six weeks right. bed rest they called it i had to stay in a rheumatic hospital for six weeks and, and it's not the three months but when you're 13 that seems like mm. a lifetime and so some of those scenes about how he's trying to you know you're adjusting to what feels mm. like a new life um that sort of long-term stay type thing yeah. is well observed and, it, and it's certainly resonated for me feel it's it's a, a sort of if you like a a love letter, not maybe not a love letter to the NHS, but a sort of uh, it, it tells us of an NHS that no longer exists in that form. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm not sure. It's, I'm not sure it's a love letter yeah. to it. Mm. No, well, maybe because not. It's I mean, about, it depends how much you like being greased by nurses. I should imagine. <laughs> well, yeah, that bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> think about think about some of his uh, his outbursts and about the the, 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 the Imelda Stockton <laughs> character, right. who we've not even touched on yet. Oh, it's yes. just, no. But I mean, again, she's—I mean, she's described in the script as being horrific, and you think that, that must be a lovely piece of casting to get. Oh yeah, um. <laughs> but it's, it's, you know, we, we come back. It's a British comedy staple. Is the, mm. the hospital thing? Because you, you said yeah. only when I laugh, mm. I'll give you all the doctor films with. Uh, yeah, well, of course, yeah, carry on films. all the I mean, carry to a certain on extent, films. 
uber-iterant. Well, it is riffing on the carry-on uh, doctor sort of idea of, of to yeah. a certain extent, isn't it? In, in parts of the of the uh, screenplay. Coincidentally, I've just bought a box set of all the Doctor's films because that's what my brother's <laughs> asked yeah. is for his birthday wow. in February. The full set oh, of them. I'm not going to spoil it for you. will be going out later. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we, I think we were missing a James Robert <laughs> Justice character. Right there. <laughs> yes. Well, there are a yes. couple of bizarre doctors and peripheral characters. I don't know how you feel about this, but to a certain extent, in, I mean, episode. I mean, the, the the basically the fact that the man in the next bed keeps dying. Uh, yeah. we, we lose we lose <laughs> Ali in episode one. There's quite a lot of unsettling language around Ali's character. Yeah. Isn't there? Do we feel yeah. that again is of the time? Do we feel it's Potter, or is it just a sense of that is telling you how vile his character is? To us? Well, I, I think yeah, I think that's Potter. That is Potter's. Yeah. But you know, he likes Ali. Mm. You know, he really likes him, so mm. he feels comfortable. He's Potter. Never imagined. Well, you, you parallel that because I mean, you get this Ali and his nice bag of sweets, isn't it? And then the next inhabitant of the bed is it George? Yeah. Which, who basically turns out to... I mean, he comes in as a very confused elderly gentleman, but that sequence where he starts to tell about what happened in the rubble of Berlin, or yeah. the rubble, the rubble of, of Hamburg, sorry, it's the rubble of Hamburg in the Second World War, it actually marks him out as a completely vile uh, human yeah. being. And what happens then is, of course, that he watches as he has his final yeah. seizure. Mm-hmm. And in many ways, at home, you feel somehow you you actually, I mean, that is a shocking moment in the screenplay because yeah. because you actually feel complicit in in the end of George because you're not actually sorry he's gone purely because of. I mean, that's the that's the beauty of the writing, is it? You are actually this character who comes in as quite sympathetic, turns out to be deeply offensive, and actually you you can turn on him in your mind yeah. in the course of just the, a couple of scenes. Yeah. And it's the, almost the reverse, but it is the reverse of what happens with the yeah. Marlowe character, because you can't think you're going to no. have any sympathy for this. You know, you know, even the illness is a repellent illness yeah. in terms of just how they. Well, really we get that shame. That. No, we get that sense of shame uh, a yeah. lot of the time. I mean, the, when he's screaming and hollering behind the curtains, and one of the ways he is humiliated is by Imelda Staunton's character opening the curtains while he, after he's had this outburst yeah. and he's yeah. got the entire ward staring at him, which again parallels quite interestingly with the way the children stare at him when oh. he's being punished in the classroom. All these things sort yeah. of run in parallel. Yeah. It's a very complicated mm. piece of storytelling. Yeah. There are lo- lots mm. of cases with these walls of faces looking at people. We get it with the yeah. school kids. We get it in the hospital ward. We get, get it in the it train, with, don't you? With the, train, the soldiers. The soldiers. Yes. We get it picking the mm. the body out of the water. Mm. You know, it's like there's a there's Hammersmith Bridge there, and there's like mm. the people from the hospital ward, or, or whatever story. It's like it's it's constantly changing, mm. but it's yeah, it's that thing of the, the chorus, shifting what, sands, yeah, isn't and it? it's the, looking the, at you in your. Once you think you've got, a, I know what this is about. Whoom, you're taken off in a completely yeah. different direction, which I think is part of the fascination yeah. from it. I don't think we, I mean, I, we are sort of getting to the end of our time, really, but I don't think we can pass the topic of the music by. So a lot of The Singing Detective as a piece of television is, it's kind of interlinked. I mean, I bought the two vinyl albums when yeah. they came out in, in the 80s. A lot mm. of people did. It actually led to an awful lot of resurgence in 30s and 40s yeah. music, mm. popular th- tunes. What what does Dennis refer to them as? The um, 
the way the, the the simple tunes, the the ordinary tunes. The, what's yeah. what's the expression you use? I can't remember. Yeah. It doesn't matter. But but the but, I mean, it's like you watch the series again, you will mm. have that theme song in your head mm. for days. Mm-hmm. And you just you think about it, and the theme story, and the other songs that they use there, they are so. They're so well. Oh, I was amazed that Teddy Bear's Picnic was so late in it. I thought it was again, but again, accentuate the positive. Was it dem bones, dem yeah. dry bones, and all that kind of thing? You know, yeah. they're all in there, and they and they have in many ways since they they were given a new lease of life because these were the songs. I mean, I, I actually no, this is not true. I thought I watched the singing detective with my father. Yeah. It turns out I thought that, and I hadn't. And it turns out. He died the year before. He died in 85 and it wasn't on till 86. But I was convinced I watched The Singing Detective with my dad. Yeah. I didn't. Martin, Martin, I had exactly the same mistaken thought. I was thinking over the last two days. A part of this, I thought I watched mm. with dad and I knew dad mm. would have liked it. But I knew it would have been mm. a bit awkward watching some of the scenes with, yeah, yeah. with my father. But actually, dad died just under a year before mm-hmm. it was broadcast but i don't know and i don't know whether this is what it is for you i knew dad liked dad mm. I, I was mis- dad quite liked some of that sort of 30s 40s dance music so i'm wondering whether i'm associating it in that respect but that is really spooky is. that you've said that because that is exactly what i was thinking myself having watched it with my father well, in the this last is the weird, couple it, of it, days it, it, it's kind of like uh, maybe we all it, maybe it's that sense of connection with parents because yeah. that or yeah. which does actually run through certainly the sequences with we must mention him Lyndon Lyndon Davis isn't it the 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 boy uh, yeah who, who the boy Marlon oh, he was brilliant nothing after that he was mm. in Sharp mm. in the early nineties no films yeah. and so no TV but but again an, an astonishing performance I mean I I was watching again the very last scene today and you kind of feel that health and safety would not have put that boy up that tree. <laughs> 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 oh, unless the tree was really only three foot tall and it was all, you know, it was all, all faked. Yeah. But uh, now you get this wonderful thing. I, 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 the other thing that that does date it, unfortunately, is that there's quite a lot of dead bodies breathing, right. which is you know, it's just a thing. Which again is just that's the nature of the the television of the time. But the, certainly the songs, the songs. I feel those songs were the kind of thing my dad used to sing. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know if, if you had the same kind yeah. of, those are the familiar tunes that yeah. we grew up with, even though they're not our era. Teddy Bear's Picnic would have yeah. turned up on, I don't know, Junior Choice or yeah. whatever on yeah. Saturday and yeah. Sunday mornings. And lots of those old 30s and 40s tunes, were, yeah. they're the standards. Yeah. And I kind of feel to a certain extent they were starting to get a little bit forgotten about. And then... Potter comes along and a whole generation go out and buy the soundtrack to the singing detective because yeah. it, it's there's some incredible stuff on there. Yeah, and I think it's, it's I think all our parents sort of are a similar a similar age who grew up in the twenties and thirties. So that's the songs I remember my mum singing, mm. not my dad, fortunately, because mm. God he could carry a tune. But mm. you know, it was like they were songs that you kind of vaguely knew, and then, mm. yeah, my mum would sit and sing along with it. One final thing. A lot of smoking. Oh, there is a love yeah. letter to the actual <laughs> art of of smoking the old cigarillo. <laughs> yeah, that's also a sort of 
image or trope whatever of whatever you call it of the film mm. noirs anyway and the detective always there with a, a cigarette hanging out the side I, I just of, think it, of, of it their shows mouth. how the world has changed i mean smoking on the ward or whatever mm. yeah. but it just shows how the world oh, yes. has changed yes. in the last 36 years since the yeah the, the, the original choice of the treatment they did was called smoke rings right and the second detective would be dropped after the first episode so oh, okay. it kind of it changed but yeah i mean pot and smoke is always uh there's always a reference in there to uh to do it just like in <laughs> your face i'm sitting there well uh, his very last interview again he's there with he's there chain yeah. smoking and with his what? pain relief mm. cocktail of morphine yeah. and champagne well if you've got to go <laughs> so Right, thirty-six years on, do we feel it's still? Do we feel its masterpiece status is reasonably assured? The power of you. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Did you feel? I mean, having yeah. rewatched it, did you feel any or revisited it? Did you feel un- uncomfortable with anything? Did you feel now? Do you feel it's too long, too short? I mean, the thing that fascinates me, for example, about Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, is the film is two hours, the TV series is six hours. And I feel the film tells you the same story and you don't actually feel that anything much is missing. Yeah. It's just played at a lot slower pace. Yeah. But do you feel that that, you know, that pace is one of the things that actually helps tell the story in the same time? Having watched the film mm. yesterday, uh, and that was the first time mm. I watched the film, uh, and despite it being six and a half years since mm. I saw the series, <laughs> albeit watching it yeah. in one long go, I... I think the opposite there. I think it really yeah. merits that. Le- and, and the stuff that had to be sacrificed to mm. fit mm. into the film, you can still tell the story in the film, or you can still tell yeah. a story, but you miss an awful lot of rich elements of the story. And the childhood yeah. bit, for example, I think is is not developed. And, and, and having the ability to do the songs mm. in in full. And, yeah. and, and like we talked earlier about the the father's song that's not really you don't get like that in the film it really this production was so class you want as much as you can get from it is how i feel i I actually feel uh, in terms of a television legacy for want of a better word i mean later parts of uh, dennis potter's career fell foul of whatever that kind of thinking was the 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 majors or the colonels sitting in their in their houses sort of objecting but actually in terms of its legacy as a piece of television that idea that you're telling one story but you're unpeeling the onion and there are layers and layers and layers Mm, which and mm. and having the the ability to sort of tell that story over a long period of time i mean that kind of production doesn't exist in the same way now there's quite a lot of stuff that gets done for netflix in eight parts because they're budgeted for eight parts and you find they run out of story pretty much after four parts and quite a lot of it feels like filler and then you get the final episode or or they put stuff that's like atmospheric development which is nice to watch at the time but it's not it messes with the plot enough plot to tell that story over eight episodes yeah but this this six hours and the way that every every week you find out something new or a new yeah. facet or a new angle, mm. I think actually it to a certain extent changed the way storytelling was yeah. told on other in later years by other uh, writers and other playwrights. I mean, yeah. you you either love or you hate Dennis Potter. I think yeah. so. There are people who really don't like Dennis Potter. Really don't like Dennis Potter's yes. work. I should say, but actually. 
I don't think you can you can underestimate his his influence on that generation of writers. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've kind of covered back to what you're saying about the timing, having the the ability to drop out of one story into another, mm. and then go back. And for it to all make sense. Yeah, that's and then to the go thing. back. Then to go back immediately to where you've you've mm. left off, or possibly slightly before, like mm. you know the uh, the greasing scene or mm. other ones where. He's gonna... well, you see, I don't. I don't think it suffers from that thing that you sometimes get now. Is that because a, a, an entire series will drop, drop as the kids say, yeah. <laughs> uh, all together? Hey, no, but actually, I don't think that you get confused by the Singing Detective if you watch it one episode a week. I don't no. feel you know the the imagery in it is so strong that actually it stays with you long enough. Yeah in the storytelling way. So you will remember that little point from episode one and uh, that picks up in episode three or or the way it, it's sort of weaving around. So you, it's this, this is actually telly for... To, you have to pay attention to it. Yeah. I'm not going to say it's telly for clever people. That's, you know, it, that could sound a bit... Old, uh, uh, the David Simon one. It's, 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 yeah. it's, it's leaning telly. But it's actually, you know, it's demanding something of the viewer and yeah. it's demanding you pay attention and you couldn't be sort of bopping on your iPhone or whatever yeah. whilst it was on. You, you need to pay attention. And it was of that era, as well as paying attention, it was an era where you couldn't, you, you didn't get mm. the box set or you yeah. couldn't go to iPlayer and see it all in one go. I think that impact, it, and, and it le- what it left you with, added to that anticipation yeah. you felt in the week, waiting for the next Sunday night, and, and where's it going to go? If you missed a couple, do you think you could still find <laughs> I have a feeling I didn't see all the episodes first time round. Right, interesting. Okay. But I, I made sense of it because it was, you know, there was so much yeah. in there. Okay. And I think it was repeated fairly soon afterwards. I can't imagine. I, well, I'll take you. You're, you're cleverer than me anyway, Sandy. So you could have probably filled in the gaps. But I, I couldn't have. But it, I couldn't have. It was one of those things that just felt like it was a. you'd get to Sunday yeah. and it was a must, a must view thing, I felt okay. at the time. Well, I'm going to, uh, I think the piano man's arrived, or the old accordion <laughs> player has just arrived to, to sing us out. So, oh, wait, we'll look uh, out. Thank... Look. I, I was wondering, I was wondering, should, should we start, should we start, say, uh, Librium, <laughs> Valium, Antidepressants, <laughs> and a barbiturate? <laughs> Click! Is it your cry? dry boys. Thank you, gents, for your time today. It's been a pleasure, as ever, to talk to you. So, uh, we'll do it again sometime for something else, but uh, thank you very much. Okay, and we'll, thank you, we'll, go and, we'll go and share this with our various parents in some ethereal plane. <laughs> you take care. Sure watch yeah. as we speak. <laughs> Shame. Shame. <laughs> thank you. Wonderful. Okay. Many thanks to both Sandy McGregor and Tim Bourne for taking the time to talk with me about The Singing Detective this week. Sandy in particular was taking the motif of working through disease rather too literally as he was struggling with a bout of isolation after having tested positive for Covid at the time, so special thanks to him there. And given only an hour to talk, we probably didn't even manage to scratch the surface of the many themes, targets and underlying complexities that The Singing Detective offers up in its six and a half hours of screen time. So I suspect that we'll have to return to it some other time, not least to discuss the reaction to the main character's illness that it stirred up at the time, the responses to Dennis Potter's little digs at psychiatry and organised religion, and the problems that the often troubling topic of sex on TV brings along with it. 
Anyway, if you're all feeling suitably recovered, that's it for another edition of Vision on Sound. Once again, I must thank the lovely people here at Fab Radio International for everything that they do to make the show possible. And as usual, thank you all for listening. As ever, I have been Martin. This has been Vision on Sound. Goodbye for now and take care.